Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast. Here we analyze politics, culture, technology, and society at large through the lens of critical thinking and open-mindedness, not demagoguery and partisan hyperbole. I'm Dr. David Hopkins, humanities professor, your host and guide. So without further delay, let's get started. I was listening to the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, and his guest was Kanye West the other day. Now, Kanye West is, how do I say it, a very interesting guy. There are not many like him out there. He's been a rapper, a producer, a fashion icon, bad boy, turned Christian. He's run for president. He started a church. He's literally building an entire self-sustaining community and I believe it's Montana, maybe Wyoming, went tens of millions of dollars in debt. Now his net worth is over $1 billion. He's married to Kim Kardashian. He's even been put in a psych ward for schizophrenia or bipolar. Can't remember which one he said, but the guy, whether you like him or not, he is not your run-of-the-mill person. When listening to him in an extended podcast, which ran nearly three hours He is really hard to follow. He just goes off on tangents very frequently. But he made one statement that really just stuck with me hard when I was listening to him. He said this. He said that money was created by the powerful to control the masses. I found the statement incredibly interesting. Money was created by the powerful to control the masses. It's such an interesting concept. Now, in our modern world, obviously, those that have money wield it, and they use it to gain access to the powerful and to make sure they maintain their status. I mean, really, we all know this. It's pretty much accepted and known without debate. We just sort of expect those that reach that multimillionaire, billionaire status that they will use that wealth every now and again, at least, to exert their influence. I'm not interested in the money gets power, power gets money narrative. This is too obvious to spend time on. We know this is true. It isn't worthy of talking about anymore. We're we're just going to accept that money and power, they go hand in hand. But going way back to the beginning, to a time before there was money, when the barter system was in place, the story we're all told as we grow up is that money was created to make life more efficient. It was a really a pain, I'm sure, to trade a goat for a new fence or a bushel of wheat to get some cookware. What a what an annoyingly uh, cumbersome process. So we're told money was created to make life easier for the entire society. It was like an altruistic gift from the government to the poor masses. A sort of benevolent favor to help the masses live better and more efficiently. A gift for society so everyone could just live a little bit easier. Is this true, though, in practice? We just sort of take it for granted that, yes, it must be true. Or could it be, as Kanye West insinuates, that money is the one thing that was created that guarantees those with power and money will always enslave everyone else and maintain their own status. It's a fascinating question when you think about it. Could it be you and I and everyone have bought the line that money is a good thing? 
We just have to use it properly, we're told. Even the Bible, the love of money is bad, not money itself. This does sound logical, yet when we stop to think about money from a very big picture of how it began and how it has evolved over time, that in fact, Kanye may have a point. The problem becomes, is it possible being not in the elite wealth of the world to actually live a quote-unquote normal American existence. The facade of the American dream seems to force most of us into a type of slavery to money. But what is normal in America really look like? Let's look at some of the statistics. A normal American will have a mortgage of roughly $202,000, $1,200 a month, say, a car payment of roughly $32,000, $500 a month for that. A student loan, the average student loan debt, which keeps growing and growing, but that's another topic of conversation, about $500 a month there. And then also about $5,700 in other debt, whether it might be credit cards or furniture or whatever it might be, roughly $100 a month. This alone, if you add up all this debt, is about... 265,000 K and equals roughly about $2,500 a month. Round that to 25, 25,000 or, uh, you know, between 25 to $30,000 a year, let alone any medical bills or personal debt or anything not in that calculation there. Even, even cell phones. And then you got your food and your gas and your utilities. You add all that together. Is it any wonder whatsoever that? A huge number of Americans feel completely and utterly trapped and run out of money before they run out a month every single month. 73% of Americans list finances as the biggest stress they have in life. 30% are stressed about money constantly. 82% of Americans are not confident they will have enough money in retirement ever. Yet 6 in 10 Americans are not saving at all. You know, I just got to go off here on one of a tangent that that just stuns me the most. So 82 percent of Americans have no confidence they, they will have enough money in retirement ever. But yet six in 10 of Americans have literally stuck their head in the proverbial sand and they're not even saving one penny for that retirement. But that's that's another amazing psychological problem that we have in this country of an unwillingness to just bite the bullet and toughen up and get some things done. But money is a problem. You know, you can actually Google yourself how fearful, if not downright horrified people are of their money situation. I even saw a Wells Fargo survey. This was more than a few years ago where 22% of Americans actually said they would rather die than live without enough money in retirement. How in the world have we gotten to a place where we are so consumed with money that we would rather die if our 401k balance is inadequate at retirement. Here's a fact, and Kanye was dead on with this. Money is an abstraction. It's a very important abstraction, but an abstraction nonetheless. It isn't real. It's a human invention. It's a, it's a human facade. Its value is only what we ascribe to it. That piece of paper or that coin, it has a fluctuating value 
based on whatever's going on in the world that humans ascribe to it. You know why I know it's an abstraction, even if you don't want to listen to that idea that money is nothing but an abstraction? In the event of a cataclysmic climate event or a World War III, and we literally experience a collapse of governments as we know them, will you want a stack of American U.S. dollars with the words printed on them, backed by the full faith and credit of the United States of America? Or would you rather have a gun with ammo or food or shelter? More close to home than that, even more realistic. Any of you have had someone close to you die. They never, ever asked those around them to go to the bank and bring them the stacks of money they've accumulated over their lifetime and set them on their deathbed with them because they want to spend their last waking moments with their money. Instead, what did they want? Friends, family, loved ones around them. Yet they've worked their entire lives to amass this all-important money, but in the end, when it really matters, when life is on the line, when those really core things that deal with our survival, our success, and our happiness... That abstraction of money doesn't matter. Money is an abstraction. That when we cut to the bone of facing real serious issues like life and death, money's worthless. The value of that bill, a culturally created phenomena that it could be argued is meant for nothing more than to enslave you. But it's silly to pretend though it doesn't matter at all, right? So humans were left trying to figure out how to properly value money, how to properly interact with money, how to control our money so it doesn't control us. As Kanye West thesis states, money was created by the powerful to control you. So thus, our goal in this podcast is in this crazy world we live to make sure you are in cro- in control of this abstraction and not the powers that control it. The solution, it won't be perfect, but it will create freedom from the bonds of money. But let's go all the way back to the beginning. As best we can tell, it was around the 8th century BC. Coins were found in a city named Ephesus at a, at a great temple of Artemis and It's provided evidence for the earliest coins that we've seen from the ancient world, at least in the Western world. Ephesus was an ancient Greek city. It's on the coast of Ionia. It's very close, let's say, to the present day border of Turkey. These coins, they were made of a precious metal called electrum. And it was just a natural occurring alloy in that specific region. And it it was considered a a semi-precious metal. And on, on this coin itself, there was a image of a lion stamped on the coin, similar to this seal from the, from the ruling party of a declaration of its value. And looked very similar in what our bills look today. You have $1, you have $10, $5, $100 bills. Uh, these directly preceded ancient classical Greek coins, and then the Romans copied that. And then from once the Romans had made these coins, it pretty much spread eventually across the entire 
globe and they were always made in precious semi-precious alloys gold silver or metal and then eventually we transitioned to paper money but that's just the history of how it started we're we're back to 800 years before christ is what we're talking about but back to the thesis of why do we have money that barter system that was being used in the 8th century it was inefficient there's no doubt about that that is just an obvious fact Something unfathomable in a complex urban industrial civilization we live in would be the barter system. It's just not practical. So one thing for sure, it is efficiency. Yet, would it not also stand to reason? One way to obtain more power, more domination, more wealth for the ruling classes would be to create a new set of rules to the game, which could exponentially create more and more wealth while still maintaining the exact same physical things. So let's say in the barter system, a very wealthy person was blessed with land. And on this land he had, oh, I don't know, let's just say a thousand head of cattle. He's considered incredibly wealthy in the community, and he can pretty much get what he wants whenever he needs it, and because he has a huge number of land and he and cattle to barter with. But yet, this is in essence limited by number one, the land that he owned, which is finite. As we know, they're not making any more land. The landmass on the planet Earth is the landmass on the planet Earth. And then number two, cattle where only X amount of cattle can be sustained on a fixed amount of land, as any farmer or cattle rancher would know, if they have X acres of land, they can probably raise effectively X head of cattle. But theoretically, he could increase substantially his wealth with a coin that randomly ascribes each coin a value, As long as the masses in society at large agree to this transference of value from something real and tangible, like a head of cattle to a piece of metal, the wealthy farmer then multiplies his wealth exponentially through the efficiencies of the currency. But the poor people, they don't get that multiplier effect because they don't own as much to begin with in America. We have a simplified, uh, I don't want to call it a simple process, but it's rather straightforward when you break it down to the basics. There's this process of money circulation, and it works kind of like this. The Department of Treasury prints money. They then circulate that money to the Federal Reserve Banks. These are our depository institutions such as Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fargo. They buy that money. And then they turn around and distribute it to their customers. Some of their customers are huge, like, say, Facebook or Ford or GE or John Deere, Google, all the way down to the little guys like you and I. In the beginning, you can imagine a similar process where money created by the government is circulated through the very wealthy then to the intermediaries, and then all the way down to the little people. Of course, at each step, the cost rises, the value decreases, and those at the top control and have priority over those at the bottom. Another current example for you, that current five-year T-bill rate, oh, let's say it's at 
35 tenths of a percent, but a, but a five-year car loan, for those of you that want to go out and buy it, let's say it's around 4.9%. Yeah, there's a there are better deals here and there, but this is just an average. But look at that huge spread. The people who borrowed the money at the highest level, they get it at a much reduced rate than what you at the consumer level have to pay. That margin in between there is profit. Where did that money go? It didn't go to you or I. It went to those huge banks, huge brokerage houses, huge investment firms. So we know who makes the money. And we also know who assumes the debt. Visa can borrow money at less than 1%, but it's charging credit card holders 14%. Money will always benefit first the powerful, the government that issued it, and secondly, the wealthiest who have access to it at reduced rates that you and I can't get it. The cards are stacked from inception against the average person. Couple this with the onslaught, never-ending push to market you to buy things you can't afford to impress people you don't really like, and we have a recipe for slavery. There's an interesting book. It was written by George Simmel. It's called The Philosophy of Money, German sociologist, and it was written around the 1900s and right in the midst of the huge industrial revolution. Uh, it discussed that those with power had fully and completely figured out money. And so the philosophy of money laid out this thesis demonstrating culture's fixations on money. And he argued that money brings about personal freedom. And here's what he said, because it's kind of the opposite of what actually happens. He said this, quote, Freedom arises because money enables an economic system of increasing complexity in which any single relation becomes less important and thus more impersonal. As a result, the individual experiences a sense of independence and self-sufficiency. There's another sense in which money is conducive to freedom, and it originates from the observance that the owner is truly entitled to its possessions only if he takes care of its upkeeping and making it bear fruits. Money is more flexible than land or other assets, and thus it frees the owner from those activities that are specific to real entities. See, this is what the masses are trained to believe, that money equals freedom, independence, and self-sufficiency. Is, is, is this not like what you see in almost every TV commercial in some way, shape, or form? Then at the end of the commercial, there's always a short blurb. Oh, if, if you don't actually have the money, you can borrow it from us. We'll give it to you. And then you'll earn your freedom through borrowing money. College, cars, clothes, pretty much any and every product on the planet Earth is now financed. With all due respect to Mr. Simmel, who was growing up in this explosion of the Industrial Revolution, the modern consumer economy doesn't create freedom, it creates slaves. The most powerful and wealthy want you and I in debt. They provide an illusion of freedom by allowing people to purchase things they cannot really afford to buy. And way too many people get sucked into the lie. Buried in debt, eking out a living, working nine to five because you quote unquote have bills to pay is where the most powerful 
want you to be. This is where you and I, the average person, are the most compliant, subservient, and controlled because when we are in debt, when we are so up to our eyeballs owing people money, we cannot live our full self. We can't pursue jobs we want because we're flat out stuck and broke. Let me give you an example. I once went to buy a used car here in Tampa. I'll never forget it as long as I live in. I'm so glad my son was with me when we did this. It was a bit of a sketchy used car dealership in Tampa. It's not the greatest of neighborhoods in the world, but there was a truck there I liked. And so I went up and, and I asked about it. I said, hey, how much is this truck? Almost immediately the salesman said, oh, well, how's your credit? I said, no, nah, I don't I don't need to borrow money. I'm just going to pay cash for it. And he literally unabashedly said, oh, we only do finance deals here. We, we, we don't sell any vehicles for cash. That would require approval from the manager. And then he proceeded to try and give his can spiel of how they self-finance everyone, which is basically just code word for charge exorbitant rates. See, they didn't want to sell me the tangible asset the truck, there wasn't enough margin. There wasn't enough money in that. They wanted to sell a finance deal to the people who had no money. They were the most vulnerable. They were the most in need, many times the most uneducated of how money works and desperate. And so thus this dealership could just charge exorbitant rates to make more money than the tangible asset could ever generate. Not everyone is like this, not every car dealership, but let's face it, most dealerships probably make more money on any finance deal they do than any margin on the car itself. The good itself, that car, was of very little importance to that abstract money obtained from the interest they could charge the person while at the same time enslaving them in five years or so of payments. There is a very clear reason salesmen at car dealerships never ask how much you want to spend on the car, but rather they ask how much of a monthly payment can you afford. As every month and every payment you make, the dealership makes money. The longer you are a slave to a payment, the better off the owner of the dealership becomes. The transference of wealth continues because the longer you are parted from your cash given to them, the worse off you become and the better off they become. You get the idea. This applies to any type of a finance deal on the planet. So here we are today discussing this and you're enslaved with money problems. What do you do? It's actually very, very simple. You got to get out of debt. You got to get out of debt like your life depends on it as literally your mental freedom depends on it as resistant or seemingly impossible your financial situation is. And it you just cannot see that idea of being debt free. Just hear me out to the end. That average American, let's go back to them with $30,000 a year in debt type obligations Listen, now, as you listen to me, imagine this, that you owe nobody anything. You are, in essence, 100% free from debt. What does your life look like? Well, 
with none of that outflow coming out of your income, let's say maybe you spend 500 a month on food, 150 on utilities, say you have a cell phone bill at $100 a month, insurance, gas, clothes, et cetera, et cetera, say $1,000 a month total. That's $22,000, a year to live. Now look at how much you bring in. Can you see the difference? Can you see the freedom? If or if you're here, can you maybe cut back on the hours you work? Could you make sure you have money for retirement? Could you take vacations and travel? Could you maybe start a new side job or maybe even fully switch careers completely? Could you give money to those you want or causes you love or just help people out in general who don't have as much as you? Yes, 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 and yes, you could do all of those things. You will not. You cannot and you won't be free or feel free in, during your entire life if you continue to be burdened with debt. This is how you take power back from the forces that rule society. I think Kanye is right. Money can make you a slave. I think Kanye is wrong, though, in that this doesn't have to be your natural state of being. In the end, it really doesn't matter if money was actually created with evil, insidious intent, as Kanye mentioned, or it was truly created for efficiency, as your history books tell you and your economics books tell you, at this point, it really doesn't matter. Humans are known to make inventions all the time, which they envision being good, but ultimately end up destructive. Let's look at atomic energy, for example. Uh, that ended up with Hiroshima and Nagasaki atomic bombs. Social media was designed to bring people together, but in many ways has ended up with some terrible negative consequences. And money may have been invented for efficiency, but ended up being corrupted and abused and enslaving people. Neither reason of why it started or what it was supposed to be matters at this point. It is what it is right now. There is only one way to be free from the trappings, the despair, the frustration, and the anxiety of money. And that's to owe none of it to anyone. Too simple, you say? I'm discarding the great value of leverage, you say? Why is it the wealthiest and most content, the less anxiety-ridden people make money and don't owe money in their personal households? If you lose your job but you have no debt, you don't stress near at the same level. You surely don't stress over house payments or car payments or student loan payments because you don't have any. Yet you want to tell me that having debt is good? See, debt equals risk. Risk equals potential loss. Potential loss equals potential fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety equal potential for depression in a completely unfulfilled trap life. Look, this podcast can't go into how to get you out of debt. There are much, much, much more detailed and constructive systems out there and coaches that can help you than what I can talk about in a single podcast. Your financial advisor might be able to help you with that if you have one. The internet has a bunch of great systems, some free, some you buy. Find one and start it. Really simply, I can say, don't buy what you can't afford to pay cash for. And use any extra money you can to pay off debt. Even if every week you're only throwing an extra $10, $15, $20 towards principal payments on anything, do it. Every penny. 
throw it and get rid of that debt. I I personally am a huge believer in the Dave Ramsey plan. Followed it for years. It's made all the difference in how I view money. But you can find other systems or, or ways to get out of debt. But really, if you want freedom, this is the best you can get in the world is to live without owing anybody anything. From here, living your life becomes one of choices on your career. You choose your vacations. You're giving you're saving for retirement and the stress load disappears. This is freedom in our modern context. No, you don't need to sell everything, move to the Alaskan frontier and re-enter a barter system with a tribe of Eskimos. You could if you wanted to, but you don't have to. But in the context of money, you can be free, as free as possible in our modern world by getting yourself out of debt. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. I hope you found value. Money, money, money. We choose to be a slave or a master over it. All of us, every day. We just have to view it in the proper light and context and then take concrete actions to get rid of our debt. Remember, I generally publish a new episode every Monday and Wednesday, so if you click like or follow, you'll be alerted when new episodes come available. Until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful week.